You're listening to Scarif Bay Community Radio and the show is Local Media This Week. My name is Jim Collins and every week we sit around the table here in the Derg Alliance building in Scarif and we have a look at the newspapers, the Clare Champion, the Clare Echo and the County Express this week and we give our own take on what the papers are talking about. Delighted to be joined, as usual, by our panel and our panel of experts, John S. Kelly. John, you're very welcome. Thank you very much indeed, Jim. Pat O'Brien. Pat, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jim. And David Fleming. David, you're very welcome also. Thank you, Jim. Now, I suppose there's only one place we can start today with the various uh, information, bits of information that have come out. The appointment of the chair of the Shannon Group has been imminent for the last six to eight months. But finally this week, it's there in print, in black and white before us. Padraig Okeda. Ah. John. As Connemara, Jerry. Well, <laughs> but you know, But I think we'll we'll let Parik kind of find himself in the in the building before we'll we give him a chance. Him. But isn't it a great choice? It appears to be a great choice. Here's a man, okay, Jay. Founder of Air Arn, do you remember? Do you ever travel by Air, Air Arn, lads? Don't. Once, once or twice, maybe. Yeah. To so Dublin. He, yeah, he knows his aviation. Yeah. He's but a is is man. the? I don't just want to play devil's advocate because I actually I actually agree with you. And you love playing devil's advocate. I love advocate. playing a devil's advocate. Um, is is the same? Is it the same? Is the skill set the same for running an airline as it is for running an airport? It's it's only a part. Perhaps a small part. Yeah, but I suppose you're, it's you, a good you, question. You, actually, but yeah. in both, you'd have to know something about aviation. Yeah. for for both yeah. of them, yeah. you would. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. And let me put it to you another way. You're all saying that um, having a kind of a, a West of Ireland man is is a good thing. But of course, the, his predecessor was a, a woman from the West. I mean, she lives, I think, somewhere in County Clare. Uh, Rose Hines. Um, like, would I put it to you that it's probably best to, would it have been better to have actually a Dublin man? I am not going to enter into <laughs> a discourse on the why, why this man has, uh, should not be the number one candidate. <laughs> okay. I'm just putting it out there. Because you sat there the, at the end of yeah. that table for the last year. And we've had Shannon as a number one item on the media, okay? And you always emphasized and rightly so i would say yeah but you're not getting away with it now <laughs> you know rightly so that uh, we need somebody who has a sense of the aviation world yeah. to communicate with the kind of people who are going to make decisions yes about coming i'd agree entirely with you john um but shouldn't you have somebody who is close to the levers of power in oh, well, well would you say that Paul well, well, Rose Hines was very close to the leaders of power. <laughs> yes. she, she was in that pocket. <laughs> oh, well, yes. Uh, well, she was certainly mentioned in, in a memoir so where where Leo, Leo, Leo and, and and herself were friends. But like, uh, is Porig would Porig be as politically connected? Shall we say? I would say so because I think he had a fight in in Air Air Ireland, 
Do you know at times? And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he seemed to have, you know, uh, managed to uh, balance the bugs. I think okay. he's somebody who would have a sense of, uh, you know, of the West of Ireland yeah. and what the West of Ireland would require. I mean, I don't think, I'm not saying someone from Dublin couldn't do the job. Um, but I think it's one thing that somebody from the West of Ireland who would have, like, let's assume that he has all the other qualities mm. required of someone to take mm. on such mm. a task. Jim, I'd say that he has been encouraged right, left and centre when the search began. Yes. Please, will you give us yeah. three years? And he's pragmatic. <coughs> in, he, in his interview there in the papers, you see that he he's holding out a prospect for himself, which is going to be hugely demanding. And of course, you'll have people sitting around the table like ourselves, constantly looking over to see how is he getting on. It's not mm. right. Mm. Yeah. So he knows the challenge. He has a sense of it. And but I, my, oh, I, I agree <laughs> with you. And uh, he's, he's exceptionally well qualified. I see Porig's piece here. He served as senator from 2016 to 20. Uh, an alumni of an alumnus okay. would be... Porig, if you're listening now, get your Latin straight. He is an alumnus uh, of Harvard University and University College Galway, uh, where he was awarded the Business Alumni of the Year and is an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship and business. That's so serious. Like it, is, I mean, it, it is. It is. My only point I was trying, and I was only playing devil's advocate with you, and you've obviously taken the bait. Um, <laughs> was, will, would he, will he have the ear of government? He will have, if he doesn't have the ear of government, he'll have the ear of the population of the Midwest. Ah, uh, yeah. And but they won't be able to do much for him. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and the politicians it, from the Midwest. Yeah. He certainly, and you can see all the reaction there underneath you Porig's. Can, yeah. Uh, yeah, Cottle Crow, D. Ryan, the CEO of Limerick Chamber, Joe Carey. Yeah. Uh, Margaret O'Brien, the CEO of Ennis Chamber. Senator Martin Conway, Senator Timmy Dooley. And Helen Downs, the CEO, they've all, you know, issued press releases and, and the yeah. Clare Echo have picked them up. Isn't that well, good, though? It is. Uh, yeah. Unity. But Pat must be very pleased because, of course, he was lobbying hard <laughs> for Porig O'Cage's um, appointment. Pat was? Oh, yeah, Pat, oh, for over 12 hmm. months he, he's been lobbying on this station. Yeah. And I know he's been having words with politicians <laughs> as well. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, we, we, I, we mentioned it a couple of times here on, on, on the programme over the last 12 months. And um, I'm delighted to see him getting it. Um, I think he's, he's, he's well. Um, you know, he's um, he has a lot of uh, a lot of stuff there in the paper yeah. on Porigs, You know, all, all what he can do and what he hasn't done and all that. And he's uh, he seems to be a, a very genuine type of fellow. Any time he's interviewed on on, on 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 radio or television, he was on there last year, and um, it was a very good program. Was it with George Duffy or someone? Yeah. Uh, had a great program with him. Shall we Yeah, I hope it goes well for him and uh, we, we, we wish him the best of luck. Now, the only, the only thing, uh, he's not going to, he can't go in and, and wave a magic wand. He, he has to get support from, from, from the Midwest, from all the area around the Midwest. And I suppose, he, like, uh, you've talked to three million passengers in Dublin. If we get two million in Shannon in the next couple of years, we'll, we'll be doing well. I can't understand why maybe we can't uh, go to the airlines and say, look, if you, if you want to come into Dublin, a certain amount of the traffic must go down to Shannon and maybe to Cochrane. Like yeah. we used to do. Mm. But you have, you have controls, uh, deregulation might inhibit you. I'm just wondering, what, what do we want um, him to do? I mean, there might be an obvious answer to the question. 
you know, more airlines. But what do we want Parik Okeja to well, do he has over the next three years? He's set himself his own target, and he says, and this is Owen Ryan now on the front of the Clare Champion, he said, success to me in three years would be to get back to 2019 levels with the passenger numbers and broadly the routes we had in 2019. Now, that's just pre-COVID, shall we say. Yes. Now, I don't think the airport was at its height in 2019. You'd have to go back a bit further to get to its height. So maybe it's not as ambitious as he thinks. The industry is saying it'll be 2026 or so before the whole sector in Europe is back to 2019 levels. Instead of getting there in five years, I want us to get there in three years. So that's seemingly mm. his ambition. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that something that we would be subscribing to? Or what would, how would we define success in Shannon Airport? Mm. I suppose looking back, and a lot of us maybe hark back to the early noughties in Shannon, when, let's say, you had Ryanair with 33 or 4 routes out of Shannon, yeah, yeah, you yeah. had, you know, the, okay, the Shannon stopover was gone, but you had Aer Lingus and a number of airlines flying across the Atlantic. I mean, we need to get back somewhere, heading back there. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, if, if the, the numbers were there... You know, 15 years ago, there's no reason to think that the numbers that they are won't there now. Yeah. Um, I know Pat O'Brien would be inclined to think that, you know, that Dublin would have, what am I right in that? Dublin would have held us back when Shannon was under the DAA. Or the word, yeah, differently, yeah. Hmm. yeah. And definitely. A, a lot, I mean, an awful lot of people would believe that. Because they, t- um. they, because they, they took out, they, they overflew Shannon. They had done the best for 10 years before that happened. They, they took out Orient International. They took out Orient International. Mm. Yeah. And they made, out, they made out there was 70 million owed. Shannon Airport now Shannon has been independent for a, for a fairly long time. At the, well, how long has it has been independent? So, mm. yeah. It, it has its opportunity if it needs, if it wants it. I, by the way, there's ads in, in all the newspapers from Shannon Airport, ha- very conveniently, uh, showing a map of Europe. And, and there are 20 flights out of Shannon right. at the moment. That's right. Um, and it looks to me, if I was to ask my students to determine how these were chosen, uh, there is about five from Eastern Europe, which suggests our my new Irish yes. uh, are, are, are the customers there. There is a group in Tenerife, Lanzarote, and where the volcano is exploding at the moment, mm. uh, over there, and Malaga, and the south coast of Spain. Uh, that's our, they're our holiday destinations. And then England. Mm. And, of course, it's the old diaspora that we're talking about the, the, there. To, to encourage uh, wider use of the transatlantic, that's going to be one challenge yeah. that he will surmount. Uh, well, that has been announced even before. He he won't be able to claim that success because I remember last week, the United Airlines and Aer Lingus have both announced resumption yeah. of their yeah. uh, of their flights to uh, United States. We'll have. I tell you what now, we'll guarantee our listeners that we'll have them on radio, on Scarf Bay Community Radio, within the next six months. Well, we'll, we'll guarantee our listeners we'd attempt. <laughs> <laughs> Jim has yet to receive a reply for that interview that he was looking for. Well, no, I think we'll give we'll Parik Okeja a break. We'll let him... Let him do some work. Let him go in, let him find his office, sit down, yeah. put on his coffee, and, and have a look at things. So look at the we, map. We won't ask. I suppose okay. we'll, we'll just on, on, on the radio, and we'll, we'll appeal to anybody that's going to go travelling in the next... And a lot of people will probably go travelling in the next... 
12 months. That maybe they should look at Shannon. All the, the Midwest. You know, yes. all, all the area of the Midwest. Clare, mm. maybe Galway, Tipperary, Limerick, maybe North Kerry and all that area. Pick a route that's the, served with pick a, by Shannon. Yeah, and and um, uh, that's the only way. If, 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 if the people supported, it should be a success. If, if, it, if they don't... Yeah. It's, it's in our own hands, you're saying. It's in our own hands, uh, to a degree. But Dublin, Dublin have a third uh, um, uh, runway now, and they'll eventually be out in County Meath with runways, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they have 33 million passengers. And they're talking... I, I, I think that definitely... In some of the European countries, John, they have... Um, uh, they have uh, in, in Holland, I think, they have uh, um, a deal with, with airlines where when you fly into the, the main airport, that you have to... To, to take flight into the, the smaller airports. Well, I remember we had Michael McNamara on here at some stage, and he was pointing out that that it's it's still the oh no, there is deregulation obviously, but it's still the government who has a say in where uh, airlines fly and and where they can pick up passengers. So the government still have a, a role they have to be called, play. They have, yeah, but Jim, Jim, sweeteners are going to be called for. We must carry on because looking at, you know, sweeteners, and maybe they're not sweeteners exactly, but they're very, they look very sweet on the <laughs> surface. Uh, I'm looking at the Clare Echo and the cover, page one, Parik McMahon has a story there, and it says the Clare TDs slam the rich list. And there's uh, photographs of our four TDs and how much they are worth. And uh, it's there on the front page of the of the Clare Echo. Michael McNamara is one point <coughs> zero eight million. Um, Joe Carey one point zero two million. Uh, uh, Cahill Crow four hundred and twenty two thousand, and Violet N. Wynn thirty seven thousand. I've rounded sort of the figures down. Uh, so we have a few millionaires. Well, so <laughs> it would seem. No, I suppose in the... The, the full story is in page 10 there, Jim. And the, and and the, and where the they drill down a little bit and see what exactly those figures mean. Yeah. And I mean, and that's, that's only fair. I mean, if a guy owns a, a farm... Okay, that's counted in. There's a value yeah. put on it. Yeah. That's put in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, how do you think these figures are accumulated? Well, the, the, the original story, or the original rich list, as they're calling it, is, uh, is from the Irish Independent. And I think the journalists there looked at the returns that every Choc de Dala makes. And annually. Annually, yeah. declaring their interests. And, uh, and that declaration, I think, from a democratic point of view, is important. We need to know what people's interests are so that they're not so that we can understand maybe why they might be lobbying or why they're not lobbying in certain respects so it's it's an important it's this like, like for example knowing the, the Mr Trump's tax returns it's yeah. all part of that democratic trust but then what journalists do is is they kind of sensationalize it so actually i have some sympathy here for for the TDs and senators, because it implies just looking at it, and you know, is Porig and the Clare Echo kind of jumping on that tabloidy wagon? It's question mark. I'd have if he was here, we'd ask him. <laughs> um, but but because when you see when you see the red in all these figures, there's a photograph. If, if there's a photograph of Crow, uh, Violet, and Wynne. 
McNamara and who's the other chap Carey. there? Carey. Carey. And, and <clears> they <throat> have the sum underneath them, the 1.85 million. Uh, it's a bit sensationalist. It's calculated uh, based on their pension entitlements, which is something that nobody has received. I think Deputy Crow points this out. He won't get that until he's 66. Yeah. Um, and none of them will get that. Uh, it's based on agricultural land, as you say, John, and the reason why Violet Ann Wynne is The only value of the house. Yeah, and the value of a house and land, and yeah. the reason why Anne Wynne is only at 37,000, it's just a, she has no, she doesn't own any property, mm. seemingly, according to her return, and therefore the journalists have calculated that. So, it's a funny thing. Um, I, think I think journalists like doing it's this It's just sort of a thing. bit of fun. Uh, you know, maybe so. at the TD's expense. At the TD's expense. <laughs> but yeah. uh, as Deputy McNamara points out, uh, maybe the senior civil servants should have the same treatment, and <laughs> and she mentions journalists as well, hmm. um, RT journalists in particular. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He just said here the farmers are rich in assets, but their income doesn't match this. He says the government believes finding, uh, findings with regard to his to his protected pension. Well, in accuracy, it is important that politicians declare their assets, but it is equally important that senior civil servants who have huge power and seem to be making a lot of decisions do the same. And then he says about journalists, I said, what about John RT journalists getting paid <laughs> by the public exchequer? It's a bit of an easy thing to do, uh, a whip out. Mm. Why focus ex exclusively on politicians yeah. and why not journalists? Yeah, I th but I do think RT does publish, uh, certainly in the bands. Um, we, we, for example, know what Ryan Tuberty and other mm. big, we, Marion Finucan usually, when she was alive, got. Mm. Yeah, three years mm. ago, yeah, as somebody has pointed out. <laughs> yes. But uh, the statistic there, 68 millionaires in the doll. Well, you wouldn't think it, um, because there actually probably aren't 68 millionaires, yes, yeah. but the, in their assets mm. are worth uh, over a million, 68 of their assets. It's down from, from, from 73 the last time. <laughs> so something is hitting. Yeah. Okay, we'll oh. go on. Uh, looking at some of the other areas there, the, the pyrite and the mica, um, problem around the country. I, I was looking at um, Fecal was mentioned there during the week. Really? Two, two residents of Fecal were interviewed on the Virgin Media One uh, news at uh, the, their 5.30 news and they were interviewed on camera talking and showing us examples of and their uh, house. Really? Yes. Uh, and when, when was the house built? I, I would imagine sometime in the last 40 years. Yeah, the, the I would think, but this this would have been an ongoing problem. I would say Fiona Fiona McGarry has the uh, piece here. Uh, Jim Claire, Claire's blocks issue is same as Mayo's. Expert report states Claire should have readdressed this access. So they they're saying here that the houses were constructed in eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety five, ninety seven, and two hundred six. Yeah. In in the ones that was tested. Yes. Okay. Now this, this, it appears it's the same it's the same material and the same thing is happening as 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 what as the as the houses up in 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 Donegal and in Neo. Yeah. yeah, significantly damaged, as she says, isn't that right? Yeah. But yeah. I suppose that the as the debate has developed, I don't think there's any question but that people are entire or will get compensation. It's how much. It's how much. Mm. What are your feelings about it? Well, I was—I'm going to ask that question. 
I mean, Pat O'Brien, let's say, has a big house over in O'Callaghan's Mills. <laughs> yes. Worth maybe five, six hundred thousand. Yeah. Well, at least he'd, <laughs> if we were doing the rich list, he'd definitely be on it. He'd be on top of it. <laughs> uh, David Fleming and Tom Graney has a much more modest house. Quite right. Yes. Uh, maybe uh, 200,000 might buy it or might build it. That's what we're going to tell the taxman anyway. He's <laughs> yes. doing the property tax returns. <laughs> now, if who is, let's say, if public money is being given out to both, but both houses are destroyed with pyrite. If money is being given out, given out to both Pat and to David, is it fair that Pat gets six hundred thousand to build his house, to knock down his present one and build one, and David gets two hundred or two hundred and fifty? Interesting 000? question, Jim. Do you what, know, what do you think? I would, I would have to say that there should be some kind of equality. A cap, yeah, it has to be. Because, it has, it has to be, yeah. because you're giving public mm. money, yeah. and why should Pat get? A huge mm. amount because he has a bigger house than David. Mm. Um, I, I, if if there is a cap and if X amount of money is given, then Pat can add on more. Now Pat might say that's not fair. Indeed, would you say it's fair, Pat? He's paid his mortgage. Well, you, you, if, if 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 you're paying our taxpayers' money, you have to have a balance on it, haven't you? But you you own the, the six hundred and fifty thousand house in the argument, okay? Yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. David owns a hundred and forty thousand. Jesus, it's going down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've only a potion, I'd say. <laughs> It's going. It's going to be. It's going to be. It's, it's, it's a difficult problem. This 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 situation is going to be very difficult. Yeah, I mean, your house, you're, you're entitled to a replacement, aren't you? Well, you have to give 100%. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, am I entitled to a replacement? Well, that's being discussed, you see. Mm. Um, th there's two approaches. You either give a flat rate, which yeah. is whatever, or probably more likely a percentage of the value. Um, really? How they go so 90% is being talked about. The homeowners themselves want 100%. Now, then the question arises, should the taxpayer... And it doesn't then matter the value of my house or Pat's house. Uh, we'll get 100% of whatever the value of it is. Now, but the other, the, the, the task force set up, say, it's not as even clear-cut as that, because in Pat's house, you might have to demolish it mm. completely. In my house, it might only be the outer skin that we need to be replaced. The block work? Yeah. <laughs> what are you left with? <laughs> You're left with the inn. But Pat's house is completely gone. Yeah. And therefore, theoretically, it should cost Pat more, even more, to rebuild, whereas to repair mine. So there, there could... And but wait, wait, here's the question for you, I, I, so to clarify it for myself. Why do you say uh, the state should pay? I don't stay. Well, I was listening to, um, to some of the national debate on this, and, I, and that was actually asked uh, because uh, Vox Pop uh, had, various, yeah. had various people saying we shouldn't be paying this at all. Seemingly, when the homeowners went to the government first looking for support, the officials said, please exhaust all other possibilities. And then, once they're exhausted, come back to the government. Why? Um, because there may be a legal route that you can through. There could be insurance where you can uh, claim this under your insurance and so on. See, so seemingly, and I don't know if this has happened, but this is what the homeowners organization has said, uh, the insurers will not pay. Um, the, 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 the legal route seems to be closed off, except that I understand that there's one or two legal cases being brought. 
Um, <clears throat> or maybe the businesses don't exist, maybe, to be sued anymore. Uh, and so they claim that they've exhausted all other forms of redress and therefore the government is the, is the final call. Okay, can it. I pose this to you? Yeah. As recently as in the last two years, there are block makers in the country producing and selling blocks which contain the percentage of mica which is considered to be the root of the problem. So are you saying that we are still in an unregulated environment? Absolutely. And uh, the, engineer, the Irish that. Engineers Association have complained that scientific evidence is not being done mm. in a manner which would stand up to proper scrutiny. The engineers themselves, are, and as he said, one of them said on radio today, earlier today, they said that um, uh, who's going to, you know, who's going to actually test out the materials? Well, seemingly these materials were tested for strength. But the problem is, over time, it decays. So at the time, the strength was validated and it was declared a, a good block. But over time, this mica element, they never thought, they never considered that, you see. But can, and it deteriorated over time. But the real problem, uh, David, or a real problem, is that they're currently selling blocks yeah. which have been identified as containing... That would be very strange. No, that would say something about lack of control, wouldn't it? It would. And lack of regulation. But, but, but what, is, what is obvious is that it's only a certain number of quarries, uh, wherever they were, and nobody has mentioned names because I think a legal case is being brought against yeah. one or two of them, but it's obviously anybody getting these blocks from... Granite, Granite Associated oh, Geology. Yeah, and it seems like we don't hear about much uh, down in Cork about this or Wexford or Waterford. So mm. well, does, you do I know, no. I know the, uh, a house in Kilkishan and I was talking to the fellow that uh, owns it and his house has fallen down to send the paper there a few weeks ago. Mm. And um, I asked him where he got his blocks and he told me and they were just from a well-known well quarry. A low, uh, kind of a clear quarry? Well, it'd be national, it'd be national, but national it'd be better, better quarry Which suggests that the whole country should be affected then. So whether, whether, is it the government's job, I wonder, then to take this on board? In other words, compensate people, uh, because if they're living in houses that are becoming increasingly dangerous, it's a government's duty to protect its, its people. It, it is very difficult for individual householders to go chasing Taking going down the legal route after companies impossible. Um, impossible yeah. So it would w could the government step in there? I'm asking the question. Yeah. Well, the government well, are obviously stepped in, well, and well, all the political parties have seemingly signed up to stepping in. The question is how much they will step. Will they step in? Ninety percent or hundred percent? Well, I think the minister said that he, he was going. He, they would they would try and chase up all the all the people that's involved in, in, in it. That the you know that, 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 that the government that, will sue. Yeah, that they'll have to. Well, it will cost us money. under the under one estimate, three billion mm. it mm. will cost for this redress scheme. And that's only the scheme. That's only Donegal and Mayo but at yeah. the moment. Was, was there, was, was, was there um, some of this stuff in Leinster already and did they have it sorted out? How much, did, how much money did they get? Wasn't there, a, wasn't there already a... a the Dublin crowd are at it again. Oh, that's pyrite. A pyrite problem when yes. Dublin are in yeah. In, yeah, there was, there wa and there was some sort of a pyrite scheme. And did they get, did they get, how did they I don't know, what, what, was it a percentage or what? I, we'd have to look that up. Okay, yeah, yeah. listen, yeah. We're, we're moving on, we're coming close to our break. One area, I have the Clare County Express here uh, in front of me, and on page five, 
there is an article on basically the rules of GDP. One of the things we were talking about here off mic is the, the hand pass in hurling. And when is it a legitimate hand pass? When is it a throw? And I just would like to get the opinions to, to, to go on, a, on a, maybe on a lighter note. Pat O'Brien, you're steeped in the GEA and you've been involved in the GEA all your life. Uh, what do you think of the, the, the current hand pass in hurling? Yeah, well, it, sure, it looks like you know, an awful lot, a big percentage, especially at the county level, a big percentage of, of, of the players now appear to be throwing the ball. No, that it's it's a, I think it's endemic in, in in the game really at intercounty level. Well, players constantly throwing the ball, so there'll have to be something done about it. Like you can, like it will end up uh, the whole the game will end up uh, just as a throwing competition really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John, well, as, as someone who played in an Ireland football final <laughs> back in the day, there was a problem with the pass. You could only pass in football with the closed fist, not a palm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and John, during the seventies, when Dublin and Kerry were were very involved, mm-hmm. yeah, it, uh, you had the same problem. Yeah, but they it, it was so fast. Yes, yeah. they, yes, they, they were throwing the ball one hand and, tr- yeah. and throw it off at the other one. Yeah. They hit off, off the hand. But Johnny O'Brien, our, our neighbour from Whitegate, has a letter in the uh, in the uh, Sunday Independent dealing with an an element of the hand pass. Uh, that is the one where you can score a point with a hand pass in football and in hurling. Okay. Mm. Now, he, and of course you can kick it. And you can kick it. I mean, well, you can in, in hurling. In, in hurling, yeah. But yeah. Uh, he's in his letter on the paper last week, he's arguing for a ban on scoring points with a hand pass. Okay. Even a fisted pass. Or yeah. a fist... Um, the well, the fisted would be, re- you could restore the fisted pa- pass if you want, but mm. to ban scoring a point with the, with the hand pass, yes. you see, that it would loosen up the game a little bit mm. more. It is football. It is football, And it yeah. is hurling. And it is hurling, mm. yeah. What's the cock view, I wonder? Well, I was <laughs> passing the Tomb Grainy pitch, and uh, after our last conversation last week, off air, as you said, Jim, and I saw them training, and they were training... With hand passes and and are, are throwing the ball, there there wasn't that tradition. Now, when I was a young fella training in County Cork, of course we were purists. Uh, we were trained to lift the ball a little bit and pass it on. That's the way I, as a young fella, I would have been trained. Now I wasn't any good at it either, whether the hurling or the hand. But um, but something has obviously happened and. It it I uh, know a game evolves as well. That's the other thing, and the rules evolve. And but but why is it considered such a bad thing? Okay, yeah, I, I yeah, just uh, well, I think the purists are gone back a bit. Yeah, we're too pure. We're too good at the older game and not good at the but new I, yeah, game. One of the problems I see is that uh, the the speed of both hurling but and football, football yeah. but particularly mm. hurling, the speed is such. Yeah. That that let's say Pat, I could pass the ball to you legitimately by letting it go a little bit, mm-hmm. and then and I could do it, throw, it, throw it. it. But most referees, I don't think referees can have enough time. It's too fast. It's too fast. They, they don't know whether it's a real uh, yeah, yeah. or, or a legitimate or, yeah. or or a foul throw. 
Well, the, the, you see the odd player, uh, would throw it out, uh, would throw it up a small bit and didn't tame it on. But uh, I, I, I have my suspicions there's an awful lot of them not just throwing the ball. Are throwing. And is, yeah. is that such a bad thing? Like, are we uh, very much against that? There's no skill in throwing the ball. There's no skill, no. okay. No. And it comes down to skill, so is what we're saying. Okay, listen, we've reached the uh, halfway point in our programme. Uh, now, our resident DJ, Pat O'Brien, is sitting across the table from me. And Pat, what, uh, what facts have you unearthed this week? <laughs> Who's dead? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no one dead. Uh, uh, the, new John, the new James Bond movie, oh, and yes. Daniel Craig in No Time to Die, is out. And um, does, it's getting a lot of press. So maybe we'll have um, one of the... One of the the, the big uh, the, the big uh, ones from from the, from James Bond over the years, Goldfinger with Shirley Bassey. Lovely, Shirley Bassey, Goldfinger, courtesy of Pat O'Brien. And we had Shirley Bassey there with Goldfinger, uh, one of the great James Bond classics from, from way, way back. And I hope you enjoyed it. Welcome to part two. You're listening to Local Media This Week here on Scarif Bay Community Radio. And we're looking at the local papers and all the various things that are in them. Before we go back, I want to, uh, on behalf of the radio station, say a sincere thank you to everybody who helped out and contributed at the annual Churchgate collection for Scarif Bay Community Radio last weekend. We had the collection all over East Clare, in most places all over East Clare, and uh, we had a brilliant um, response. I think we, we, you know, lots of people around the table here stood at various churches and at tables be with, with buckets and whatever, and we really had a, a most heartwarming response from people all over East Clare, and we are very, very, very grateful for that. Jim, uh, apropos of that, I've met quite a number of people in the past week who say, you know, that they look forward to... One person was very much into, into traditional music and looks, for, looks forward... Uh, you know, to that those programs. Then there was a very elderly man who said, "My God, I love the matches." Do you know? And it, it came across to me that the radio seems to speak to a variety of interests in the in our community, and they were very very responsive, as you said. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose that's the the job of a community radio station yeah. to to you know, cater for um, yeah. a variety of of uh, tastes and needs in the community. And so we have a, a, a young, a, a new young man. What age is he? He's 15. 15. And he made his inaugural presentation last week. That's yes. right. Shane Fahey and Tom Graney. Tom Graney. Mm. So well done, Shane, if you're listening in to us. Mm. 
Uh, we hope that you will bring more of your age level uh, to become interested in the in the radio. Because we have space for you, haven't we, Dan? Indeed, we've loads of it. Mm. And I suppose just as well, lots of just as well as that, you know, lots of people on their way into mass didn't expect a collection or they wouldn't have any change or, or people don't go to mass, uh, you know, in the numbers that they did, you know, pre-COVID and I suppose it's only gradually recovering. So anybody who wants to contribute all the time may do so by uh, doing, give, giving it to any volunteer anywhere around any of our volunteers or to go on the website scarifbayradio.com where they can do it electronically so um, again a sincere thank you we are very very grateful it gives us great heart in the station that the, we get such great support right around East Clare now looking at we're actually looking at the last edition of the county express because it's something that's still live uh, and it's, it, it says mcnamara hale significant infrastructure project for scarf and uh, i suppose there there is uh, work going on at planning work going on um in a number of towns a number of areas around the county and there's scarf is one of them where uh, i suppose work is happening so, Jim, what will our listeners uh, notice now coming up over the next six months in relation to the development in Scarf Town? Well, I know there's a few um, things going on in Scarf. First of all, uh, the, the streetscape um, will be developed. Now, people will remember, and people will remember with mixed emotions, the, the street and the paths going up the hill from the, from the bridge up to the hill or up to, let's say, the market house area. So from there on, it is there are a number of things which, you know, I suppose need to happen. Um, the market square and the parking need to be looked at there. Uh, the paths certainly need to be looked at. The, um, the, sa the road safety on that market house area where, where various roads come together and there's still a lot of people not sure whether they should go or stop two stops and and uh, it's you know that that certainly needs to be looked at um there's there's a question of um the the river stones which form part of the the green area around the parking area and you know they've been called into question could it be better used so uh, there is the the town teams together with a firm from Galway are looking in for propose are looking in and will come up with proposals, um, which will go to the county council and the council hopefully would take on board or, or at least would would consider and and would base their plan because the council have to have to be on board anyway. So that's that's one thing. The other thing is there are a number of uh, looped walks being developed around Scarif. That would be a smaller part of it, but that is happening. And I suppose the third thing is, and, and Michael refers to it here, and the County Express talks about it, um, they're looking, we'll say, at infrastructure developments in the town, including a multi-service innovation and commercial space. And uh, I suppose the, the, the County Council are looking for funding from government, presumably, uh, to, to set up um, such a hub which would be a commercial space for people, but it would have community aspects to it. Um, and, and, you know, it would, I suppose, bring, bring jobs, bring work, bring trade uh, 
into the town mm-hmm. and um, improve the the general, uh, I suppose, the commercial prospects mm-hmm. in Scarif as well. As an aside, and that's good, to look, uh, something to look forward to, tell me, does anybody around the table know anything about the FINSA, the chipboard factory building? Can we reveal any information in relation to that? Hmm? Yeah, I suspect no, not. Um, no. no, I know it's it's it has been used for for PPE equipment. Is it still being used? For I'm that? not sure whether it's still being used, but certainly it was used to store PPE equipment there. Mm. But um, whether it's still being used now or not, I'm I'm not able to say. Various trucks and you'd see going in and out there over the last number of months. Just Jim Bear, does a related article there about Scarif as well. The Scarif matter of centenary, old, old tragic tale finally told. Um, there's a nice bit there from, she- from Seamus O'Reilly on the, um, the Scarif matters, and there's a lovely photograph there as well. So, on the, and the book, and he, he praises the book. He said it was a, it was a great read. And um, it's, it's nice to see the, um, afterwards that uh, somebody references. We didn't see too much in it last week in the paper, so. Yes, it's nice to see you there on the on the County Express. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was looking at the photograph in the book where there is a collection of photographs in the centre of the book, and there's one which was obviously taken in the days after the burial of the the Scarif Martyrs, and it's it's the grave with flowers around it, mm. you know, and you kind of think to yourself, God, it could have been taken a week ago, Do you know, it yeah, the, yeah. the church mm. and the the tower of the church and the main entrance is exactly the same as it was. There aren't other graves around there in that time, and there's a few little trees that are no longer there. But um, it just struck me as a very poignant uh, photograph. That I don't know if you've you've seen it, David. I ha- I I haven't. I'm looking forward to reading the book. And uh, uh, but yeah, I can I can easily imagine it. And of course, the evo- it's very evocative. I mean, hmm. uh, 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 all that all that time, even. No, it didn't happen in the Scarif, in the case of the Scarif martyrs, but uh, often photographers would take cof- would take a picture of the open coffin, which was even more sort of driving the message home mm-hmm. of yeah. sacrifice and martyrdom and so yeah. on. Yeah. The, the, you know, just thought just struck me. <coughs> Tomás Mocanmara's book comes out of the parish of Tungrini, okay? And we have a, another man at the end of the table here whose book on the Perries of Limerick is due out when, David? It's a good question, John. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's written. It, I know I it is. I can say it is written. Yeah. Um, but it's likely now, it won't be out for Christmas. We won't. <laughs> no. Uh, no. An academic book, there's, there's, a few, there's a few differences between Tomás's book and, um, um, uh, and uh, an academic book, which is published by an academic publisher. It'll be sent out, my book will be sent out to two readers independently, peer review. I won't know them, they'll be anonymous. They'll make the decision to publish or not. Oh, really? Yeah. And then that's what the publisher does. Mm. And, and then um, it's the same with scientists. I mean, before they get published, they'll, their argument has to be reviewed, peer review, and uh, then they'll get published. So that takes, that takes time. Mm. And, you know, you mightn't get there in the first go. You might have to listen to what they say to you and, uh, and amend but, accordingly. But there would be feedback. It wouldn't be... There would be feedback, yeah. yeah. There would yes. be feedback. And you, of course you're looking for, this is a great book, publish <laughs> immediately. <Yeah. laughs> 
but yes. two two books out of the parish of Scarif in the one year. The parish that of Tomb Green. Green. <laughs> Sorry. You see the way he nearly snuck that in there. <laughs> yes. But I, I, there is a very, of course, a very long tradition of publishing in Tomb Grainy, and we yeah. go back to the MacLysets and the number of books yeah. Edward MacLysett published out of Raheen House, in effect. Mm. Um, obviously, Dublin publishers. But there's a long, and of course, thinking of Edna O'Brien. Edna O'Brien, There yes. is an awful long... So, listen, Scarif and other parts of this part of the county what's keeping you yes. <laughs> okay we we'll jump from Tungraney uh, kind of over Scarif and we'll head to Mount Shannon John because looking there at an article it's on the the living section of the Clare Champion and it's called Forging the Future and the Past Indeed. and I know one man that I know very well there is uh, Mark Wilson yeah. Uh, Mark is, is a real character and he's, he runs the forge which was Tom Lyons's forge once upon a time Yes, um, but d- there's a man there and he's a past pupil of yours that's right Al, Dr Al White and again congratulations to Al, by the way isn't it uh, interesting that it's the, is it the second or third week in a row that the champion has had a front page photograph of uh, one of our East Clare friends. Okay. Oh, that's right. That right. Liam Waterstone was there a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember. I can't remember. Yes, that's no. right. But Al. Tomas McNamara was there as well. Al is keeping uh, watch on his, his, home, his home village. No doubt it's all about it. But the article is interesting. Now, I'm not going to attempt to actually uh, describe exactly uh, go on, John. Uh, it's uh, the, the title of it is, you'll have to explain it anyway, Forging the Future and the Past. And the past. So oh. we know it's something to do with blacksmithing. It is. It, uh, and, and metal. It, and it is something to do with the strengthening uh, of steel. Yeah. Okay. For, and for and re- recreating Damascus steel. Now, steel. what was Damascus steel? It was a sharp, uh, very, very, clearly a very, very sharp weapon. Strong. Strong. Yeah. Now, how was it created, this Damascus steel? Well, they were adding charcoal. Mm. I mean, I, I was amazed when I read that in the article. You know, okay, mm, mm. Uh, Al and Mark and uh, a, a third friend of theirs are in the actual um, uh, forge. They're they're trying man- to recreate. They it. are recre- u- use, using the the same type of uh, technology that yeah. belonged to the fourth yeah. fifth century. And the thing about is nanotubes. Does anybody know what a nanotube is? Well, there's a because little sketch here of what it looks like. Yes, uh, it looks like lots of little... It looks, to all intents and purposes, like chicken wire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But these are obviously tiny... Ho- the charcoal, of course, when, it's, when coal is burnt... Uh, <laughs> this is a historian now talking about science, uh, and I might be completely wrong. But obviously, somehow, little holes get into mm. the charcoal. Yeah. And it's these nano holes, these minuscule invisible holes yeah. that make ultimately this steel strong. And yes. they, they get that. What they were doing now in the in the forge was getting those into the actual into the steel. steel, which yeah. were, they were melting yeah. in the yeah. in the which furnace. Must mm. take. It's it sounds easy, but it must be very difficult to do. Yeah. It would have been lovely to have been uh, yeah. there observing it and yeah. having it explained to us. Yeah. 
Well, uh, you'll have to read, the people will have yeah. to read the article. And well, Fiona uh, McGarry has an article where she talks uh, to uh, Dr. Al to White. Al. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we'll, it's on the front page of the living section of the Care Champion. And of course, Al, Al is in the academic world and also in the technology. I think, he, I think he's involved in... Yeah. Well, in he straddles the two. He does, yeah. 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 Okay. So, well done, Al. It's good to... See you back mm. in East Clare, even if only for a short while. Pat um, O'Brien, you're mm. going to have to go a bit further with your money uh, oh, yeah. from here on in. Where, where you're well, if you're yeah, sitting in a house worth 600,000. <laughs> <laughs> that was only as an example, wasn't yes, it? Well, I, I rushed to say that Pat's house is not falling down, <laughs> or neither is David's. And they're both <laughs> worth more than the figure you put them. Oh, well, no, that's another matter. <laughs> we'll have to but, uh, Pat, there, there are banks closing, yeah, uh, bank including a bank in East Clare. Yeah, Bank of Ireland reveals date of branch closures. Uh, development of town of rural towns suffering over withdrawal of services, councillors note. Three banks, three Bank of Ireland branches in Clare will close their doors for last time on October the 8th. In March, in... In March, in the teeth of the Delta, of the Delta, where the bank faced serious criticism for unveiling plans to close 103 branches around Ireland, including those in Kilkee, Milton, and Tudor. In recent weeks, the bank has been contacting customers and confirming the date for the, the branch closure. It is, it is deplorable to announce plans in the middle of a pandemic. Councillor Pat Hayes said the bank would be better off looking after its existing customers' base, especially those who are older. It's quite disturbing, even in the branches in Scarif and Innes, who, where people in East Clare are now being directed. The, the, personnel service is disappearing. the personnel service is disappearing, and people have to deal with machines. He says in the lack of 24-hour team and toilet is another issue that the, the cannabis representative has condemned. But you know, there, there are people, I'd be interested in your take on this, John. There are people, uh, people that I know around Scarf, and I'm sure there are everywhere else as well, uh, who aren't into um, online banking. They aren't into working with computers or phones or whatever. Mm. They have been all their life going into the bank, mm. doing their business, probably doing it on paper mm. from their own point of view. Mm. And, and they're being kind of forced into a position. And they're not all, they can be younger people as well. They're not all of, <laughs> of any yeah. age. Would, yeah. it, would, it, would it surprise you if I say I do my 365 banking? Oh, it wouldn't surprise me Oh, I least. think it would shock him. He does very little technical stuff on the radio. <laughs> I have to say that much. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know if I can be heard. I think I can be heard. Yeah. Um, the, like the, the, the times move, times are moving on. And... You know, I, the 19th century example is the Papal States in the 19th century uh, didn't want railways. The Pope did not want railways. And as a result, that part of Italy had no railways. But eventually, uh, he thought that, I, do, I don't actually know the reasons, um, <laughs> but he thought, you know, he thought maybe this would be terrible for people to be traveling around the place. Yeah. So I think 
the older generation, and maybe I don't think it's a lack of technology, um, a lack of technology awareness, but the older generation probably needs to catch up. And funnily enough, on page four of the Clare Champion, at the right at the very bottom, you nearly miss it, smartphone classes in county libraries. Mm-hmm. Uh, classes have begun at libraries around the county and using smartphones. These classes are free to attend and will help you to become familiar with installing apps. Now, it doesn't mention it here, but Banking 365 mm. could be one of those apps, including, uh, it says, goes on using Zoom, sending emails, etc. So no, there is really no excuse for anybody not to be able to use this technology. And once you use it, it actually does become a lot easier. You won't have to queue up. Um, or, and the other option is, forget Bank of Ireland if you've got a problem. Use your local post office. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and um, if if uh, an app doesn't much good to you if you overloaded change in in, in bags and, and and money that you you want to de- deposit, <laughs> that is true. No, uh, uh, Will they count it for you? But, but it's the co- if there's a crowd, if there's a if there's a no, they won't count for you. They won't count to yourself and bag it yourself. Really? Sure. But if there's a if you nearly set up your own bank if you've all just that take, money. Take the businesses and Tuller. <laughs> take, take the businesses and Tuller uh, for hands and. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Super value and all those pieces. Yeah. They, they, they all have to go somewhere else to do their banking. Yeah. To, mm-hmm. to, to, to physically uh, yeah. get money out. But there is a quiet out. revolution going on, and COVID has accelerated it, and it is the cashless economy. I have yeah, no money in my wallet, and I yeah. haven't had it for the last really? two years. Really, and and she my, herself gives out to me constantly when I reach yeah. a toll or something, and and she asks me, "Have and you got one ninety there?" And the and the and the clear of the scar of bacon on the collection. Listen, we're we're pretty much out of time, folks, um, and we've a load of things to talk about, and we simply are not going to get to them this week. I just want to again <laughs> congratulate Fiona McGarry uh, on. Uh, the teaching award that she's won. I'm looking at, I know it's mentioned in the Clare Champion, I'm looking at Parik's article in the Clare Echo. Uh, so really excellent. We had Fiona here uh, some months ago and look forward to having her back again. And two pages on, I see the Clare Echo, um, Parik again writing, has a new deal with Google. And of course, I mean, it's, it's great for our newspapers like that, that first of all, they're... they're it gives them an opportunity to to spread the word and, yeah. to, and to use Google. And, and, the, and uh, their content is being acknowledged. Yes. Uh, Google is only the service, but mm. the real the real content is being produced by Porig and Fiona and all the other journalists that I think mm. the county is well served by. It is. And I mean, it's a teaching award, but I mean, Fiona is, a, is and we come up against her week after week here she's a very good journalist the other thing i want to mention and we really i think we're out of time then uh, there's an appreciation in both the clare echo and the clare champion of michael dan o'doyle a uh, great character was in this studio many times re- really even up to shortly before he passed away he was in this studio talking about his beloved white gate and his beloved hurling and uh, it's a it's a lovely piece there, submitted by Common Lucas Gale on Gatabon, where he was much loved. Okay, listen, my thanks to everybody today for uh, we we got a, we've a whole load of areas we haven't got to yet. John S, thank you very much. You're welcome, Jim. Uh, Pat O'Brien, thank you, Pat, thank for, you. for everything today. David, thank you very much thank you, too. Jim. Uh, Pat, you have a piece of music for us to finish on. We'll go back to the 60s again. I said, John, John would remember this one. He's, he's here I days. Yes. <laughs> Dusty Springfield, and uh, I only want to be with you. Okay. From, I'd say, 1966 or thereabout. Excellent. Excellent choice. <laughs> Listen, 
that's it. Please join us again next Sunday when we'll have a look through the papers again and, uh, and give our take on them. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, thanks to everybody. Goodbye and God bless.